Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment from the Sports Lawyers Association Conference in Los Angeles. Now, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us for a special edition of Sports Business Radio. We always love our roadshows, and this one is presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, coming to you from Los Angeles and the Sports Lawyers Association Conference. This year's conference theme was the athlete sports key topics discussed were things like NIL, technology, media rights, health and safety, and player unions. You're going to find a wealth of insightful information from top sports lawyers on our podcast this week. Here's the guests I have joining me. Bobby Hacker, longtime sports lawyer. He was the VP of Business and Legal Affairs at Fox Sports for 18 years. He's the past president and chair with the Sports Lawyers Association. Allison Rich, Director of Athletics at the University of New Hampshire. She's also worked at Princeton. Brian Sokolow, Co-Chair, Sports Practice Group at Loeb and Loeb LLP. Laith Gafour, he's the President-Elect for the Sports Lawyers Association. He's the CEO of the Lucentem Media Group. And then Ken Shropshire, he's joined me many times on this show before. He's a Professor and Director Wharton Sports Business Initiative at the University of Pennsylvania. He also created the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. You're going to hear all of our guests today talk about the importance of financial literacy for athletes and for aligning with trusted financial advisors. That's why we love partnering with Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. Sandra L. Richards and her team are setting athletes up for success by educating them about things like NIL, investing and managing their money. Morgan Stanley provides financial education sessions, tools and resources at no cost to student athletes, empowering them for their future. Thanks to Morgan Stanley for being the official financial sponsor of Sports Business Radio and for allowing us to have these intelligent conversations at the Sports Business Radio Roadshow this week in Los Angeles. To learn more about Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, visit their website at morganstanley.com backslash GSE. And to get in touch with a global sports director near you, scroll down the homepage to the box that reads start the conversation in bold letters, where you'll be able to select an advisor within your geographical preference. Lastly, to get in touch with the global sports and entertainment team directly, click the blue button on their homepage that reads contact us or email GSE underscore management at morganstanley.com or you can reach out to their point of contact with the morgan stanley global sports and entertainment team assistant vice president stephen elmore at stephen.elmore at morganstanley.com and i want to thank personally stephen and sandra l richards and their team for hosting us in los angeles this week it was all very well organized and we just loved 
being there. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs, who was with me at the conference in Los Angeles. Griggs, just some great, intelligent conversations at the conference, and I think our audience is going to find them insightful. Big time. I learned so much in the little sit downs we had, you know, five interviews that are just jam packed with all kinds of great content. You know, you get the lawyers run a big show. You know, there's a lot of stuff you don't see as a as a normal person or a fan of sports. They're in the trenches. They're making this stuff happen with TV deals and everything else. I mean, it's just they cover so much. So I really learned a lot. It was a great trip. Los Angeles is always fun. And uh, yeah, Morgan Stanley did a great job hosting. Appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, you're right. The legal counsel for the league's the teams, they're the ones who see the contracts. They know all the nuances and intricacies, and they're the ones who are in the know. And, you know, the people that are on with us this week, they've sat at those tables and they've negotiated these deals, whether they're sports media rights deals or NIL. Um, There's just so many deals going down right now. We're really at this crossroads on a lot of levels, especially in collegiate sports. So um, I think you're going to find some great nuggets of information on our podcast this week. Um, Before we get to the interviews, Griggs, as always, when you and I travel, we find time for some fun. And I want to thank the Los Angeles Dodgers for hosting us on Friday night at Dodger Stadium. I went to Loyola Marymount University, but I had not been to Dodger Stadium in 30 years, Griggs. I'm dating myself with how old (laughs) I am. You had never been to Dodger Stadium, and we had a perfect weather night and it was a great game Padres Dodgers I got to have a Dodger dog a chili dog uh we had a helmet Sunday like it was just baseball as it's meant to be it's like baseball heaven there at Dodger Stadium man it sure was what a great experience and uh what a cool park I mean you got it's got some old school vibe to it but yet new enough and keep stuff fresh. The food's amazing. Uh, You know, Dodger fans represent well. I mean, there was so much Dodger blue there. Everybody knows the game. They're booing the Padre players that they hate. I mean, there was, I've never seen a crowd get more angry when a Padre batter comes up. So, you know, I I love that. I love that passion that the Dodger fan has and it it showed well. And yeah, I had a helmet nacho with jalapenos on it that cooked my uh, tongue, but it was great. The food was great. The time was great and a, a beautiful night. Got a, a couple of back-to-back home runs, too, we got to see. So that was fun. Dodgers got the win. And just the game ops and everything around the experience, the music, the involvement of the crowd. Uh, I forgot that they have the the beach ball that you can hit around. It came <laughs> to our section a few times, and I know you got to hit it a couple times. Yeah. And uh, it's just a fun Southern California experience. So, again, thanks to the Dodgers for hosting us. What a special night. And uh, it's a night that I'll remember for a long time. We also found time for some really good food. We went to Cantor's Deli uh, near the Grove in Hollywood. And, you know, that place has stood the test of time. (laughs) It is the same today as it was when I went in there when I was a kid. The same booths. I think some of the same servers are in there. Everyone's nice. We ate unbelievable sandwiches we got some pastries for the next day but uh shout out Cantor's deli if you're ever in los angeles and you're looking for some incredible food and some fun servers we posted a picture on our instagram at sports business radio of us with one of the Cantor servers and uh it was just a lot of fun and and Man, I would eat that meal over and over again, Greg. Man, it is so good, and it's just a step back into time. I think it opened in 1931 or something like that. They're coming up on uh, you know 100 years, and it's uh, it just the same booth, the same tile floor, the same 
counter when you walk in. It's just got this old school vibe, total Hollywood, and uh, the food can't be beat. And the pastries the next day, I mean, that croissant you and I had the next morning was the best thing I've ever had as far as a breakfast croissant. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, their bakery counter is to die for. Yeah. It's like dessert heaven. So we got to go to dessert heaven at Cantor's, <laughs> and then we got to go to baseball heaven right. with the Dodgers game. It was pretty good. But I think you're really going to enjoy these interviews. Without further ado, let's get to our interviews from the Sports Business Radio Roadshow presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. Enjoy. Talent, hard work, focus, and determination got you here. Now take the right steps to prepare for your future and ensure that you stay at the top of your game, your business, your craft. Morgan Stanley Sports and Entertainment is a division of Morgan Stanley Wealth Management dedicated to serving the unique and sophisticated needs of elite and professional athletes, entertainers, executives, creators, and other top talent and professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. They deliver the education, strategies, and expertise you need to help advance your financial game plan at every stage of your career journey. They speak the language. They know your business. Morgan Stanley will work with you to achieve your goals. I've trusted Morgan Stanley with my personal wealth management for almost 20 years. Visit Morgan Stanley at morganstanley.com backslash G-S-E. Now, back to the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. I'm here with Bobby Hacker. He was the VP of Business and Legal Affairs at Fox Sports for 18 years, past president and chair with the Sports Lawyers Association. Bobby, how are you? Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Well, well, happy to be here. I'm, I'm a little frantic. Chairing a sports lawyers conference is, you know, exercise in herding cats, but yeah, it's, it's good. Good conference. Yeah. Um, it seems like everyone's so happy to be back in person. And, and what would you say the top topics are this year at the conference? Well, the theme of the conference was the athlete, and that encompasses a lot of things. But, you know, my gut tells me people mostly want to know about what's going on with NIL. We're less than two years into the NIL world uh, with respect to college athletes, that is. And what does that really mean when you're in a world that has, you know, 20 odd states with legislation, a bunch that don't have it, conference rules, school rules, and an NCAA that really doesn't have control or power, they have guidance. They can put out guidelines, but they're not enforceable because of the Alston case, which said, uh, NCAA, you do not have an antitrust exemption, so you can't do this. So it's really upended college sports in a big way, but interesting. Now, Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment is the presenting sponsor of your conference. We work with them as well. They do such a great job of empowering athletes how have they impacted SLA over the years? Well, obviously, as being our presenting sponsor, it really helps the financial contribution. But more importantly, it's the relationship we've built with uh, with Morgan Stanley, not just through Sandra's leadership uh, as the head of the group, but with all of the advisors who have been actively involved in a variety of ways in our organization. And, you know, just linking it to uh, what I was just talking about, you know, this hot topic of collegiate NIL one of the biggest issues there is financial literacy and Morgan Stanley gets it. And I think that's uh, that's a, a good thing because so many of these kids, all of a sudden you're a college athlete. Now you're making a bunch of money. And unfortunately, a lot of these these young athletes, 
they don't really know about simple things that we take for granted, like you got to pay taxes on that money. Right. And you think, well, everybody knows that. They don't. Yeah. Well, and just getting trusted advice, right, from people who have done this for a long time. We have talked with a few of our guests this week about you have so many people in your ear giving you advice on certain things, and and some people know what they're talking about, and some people don't. Obviously, Morgan Stanley, a trusted advisor. Well, I think that's really important because what you have, and it's, you know, I saw it early on in my career in professional athletes where a representative would do a deal for an athlete. But the second that deal is done, that athlete sits down and the guy in the locker next to him says, you didn't get this. Your right. agent didn't get you that. And then you get a call saying, wait a second, so-and-so got that. And then you explain things like, well, yeah, they're a quarterback and you're a second string lineman. There's a, right. a different calculus in how you come up with these, with these numbers. But what it does similarly is... That guy in the locker next to me who says, my guy does this, that's a representation. A teammate, somebody that you likely have trust in, and they say, you know, if they say my person's Morgan Stanley and they've done this for me, you're going to stop and listen. And there are those of us, you know, in my world, in the professional world, sports lawyers, whatnot, you know, you throw a name like Morgan Stanley or any big name like that, it has gravitas. Right. It has meaning. But... We forget that, you know, 18, 19-year-old college kids may not have had any exposure to this, may never have had a checking account. And, you know, Morgan Stanley, you know, what position does he play? Not, you know, in terms of what, what can he do or what can it do when right. you explain to him it's, an, it's a business uh, and how you can maximize your money. And I think financial literacy doesn't get enough attention in this new world of NIL, uh, collegiate NIL, because I think you have to understand that there's consequences to making money. And one of the things that doesn't get across to a lot of people, to young athletes, is there's a benefit and a burden of making money. And the benefit is, is you got a little cash in your pocket, you can go buy some, but you can't spend it all. And you shouldn't spend it all and the concept of saving and building, and especially in the athletic space. I mean, you have the opportunity to build generational wealth. And, you know, I know that's a large part of what Morgan Stanley does in their GSE group. So I, I think it's an important message. And, and we're happy, you know, through the SLA to be involved with them because it's, it's a good we're providing. It's good information. It's good knowledge. Because we have a lot of you know, student members mm -hmm. who are friends with these athletes and they may go on to represent these athletes. And when you're educating people about the industry, it's a, I think it's a holistic approach. It's not just what it takes to represent, what it takes to put in a contract, what terms and conditions should you have, but how do you effectively and adequately represent your client? Yeah. I want to pick your brain as someone who worked at Fox Sports for a number of years. I'm so interested in the sports media landscape, and I want to get your thoughts on where you think some things are going. We're seeing these RSNs crumble, and I, I'm really interested in, so, you know, you look at what the Phoenix Suns just did recently and their owner. Their RSN deal fell apart, so the owner said, we're putting our games on over-the-air TV. Until a judge stepped in yesterday. 
Oh, okay. Breaking news. <laughs> I did not see that story. Yeah. Um, so what's happened is, uh, where do I even begin? Diamond Sports Group, which is owned by Sinclair Broadcasting, which is a giant owner of hundreds of television stations of every of all the major networks and their own local networks. And they created this thing called Diamond Sports, which was rebranded by Bally when Bally paid Diamond a lot of money right, um, to rebrand. But what happened was is when Fox sold its assets to Disney and the Department of Justice said, you can't have ESPN and all these RSNs, they had to divest of the RSNs. Sinclair Diamond ended up paying $10 billion or so for those rights. And about an hour later, cord cutting went full blown. Right. And so the value, based upon a robust cable subscriber environment, just collapsed. And so Diamond got to the point that saying, well, we can't afford to pay this debt service, which was, I think, $6 billion or some ridiculous number. And if you can't afford to do that, they want to try to rework deals. They end up recently filing bankruptcy, not every region. Some of the regions haven't filed bankruptcy because uh, teams have equity in those RSNs. So what happened in the Phoenix case, as I understand it, is the Suns said, well, we're going to go do this, but they didn't have permission from the bankruptcy court. So there's a stay once you file bankruptcy, and unless that executory contract, the media rights deal, has been rejected, it's still, it's still in play. So I think the Suns got a little ahead of themselves. Maybe it was, you know, it could have been a strategy to say, we're ready. Either you pay us what you owe us, or, you know, we're going to go to court and we're ready to do this and we're all set up. So it's really interesting to see what's happening. Um, you know, over the years, the NHL and the NBA made deals for streaming, local streaming, but that was only through an authenticated MVPD. So if I was a charter subscriber, I could watch it streaming, but I'd have to log in through my charter ID, okay? Mm -hmm. What Diamond's proposing is going a straight to direct-to-consumer model. Right. Which the details are, are, are unclear, but it would be a, you'd pay for a streaming service. Now, what about your existing deals with these cable companies? You know, these are generally three-year deals. Are you just going to breach them? Are you trying to renegotiate those deals? You know, get less money? You know, there's, there's lots of moving parts. But I think in all things, as we look at television over the last five years, the switch from the traditional linear model to a direct-to-consumer model, a streaming model, uh, OTT was the old phrase, right. is where we're at. It's where everything's going to go. And as soon as you're in a technological position to deliver a significant number of concurrent streams, 115.1 million like Fox in the Super Bowl, then, in my opinion, linear distribution is done. I mean, you look at what Major League Soccer has done with Apple, right? And I look at that and I go, is that going to be the new model? Direct to consumer, you can decide if you want to have Major League Soccer watch a specific team or, or broadcast. And I look at the NBA where the RSNs are collapsing and the NBA has their media rights deal coming up in the future. And you wonder, is that going to be a slice of their overall media deal? Well, I think the NBA, who has always been, to my mind's eye, one of the leaders in right. adapting to technology, 
they see that you know streaming is where it's at and Adam Silver is a smart, smart he guy. Is. Yeah. And I think that what's going to happen is that they're going to come up with a model to do that. Now, you have to build that infrastructure. And the question of building that infrastructure is, well, it already exists in the production teams that are producing for these RSNs. So do you do production services agreements with those people? Do you hire third-party crewing companies to be the operator to deliver the signal? The people are out there. The infrastructure to create the product, to create the programming is out there. Now the issue is the delivery through the broadband pipeline of that content. On a local basis, not a problem because you're not going to get, you know, million, million and a half in a lot of local markets. Mm -hmm. And that's easy. National distribution gets a little tougher because when you start getting those numbers up, you know, you have questions. And we even had it in the early tests on Amazon with MLS where you were getting, you know, the old dial-up wheel of death on your screen. Right. Well, yeah. where's my signal? <laughs> but I think technology advances so quickly. And when we realize that it's not that many years ago that the first iPhone came out, and now it's ubiquitous. Smartphones are ubiquitous in our existence. So I think technology is, is advancing at such an incredible pace that we will get to the, the place where you know the linear model pretty much goes the way of the dodo bird. Yeah. And we could talk for hours, I'm sure, about taking the streaming content and putting it on social media because the young people are watching highlights on TikTok and Instagram, and that's all they want to watch. They just want to see the highlights. They don't want to sit and watch a game. Well, for you, two you hours. look at a company like uh, uh, I think it's called Buzz Bohan, who is at Twitter. Right. Yep. Took the company out, and what they did is they did exactly that. They yeah. did deals with as many leagues as they could. To del if you're an authenticated subscriber, you can see the content. If not, you're paying for the content. But it's exactly that. It's getting that little segment of content that you want. Now, are there old guys like me that want to watch a full game and sure. can sit and watch baseball? Thankfully, for less time than it used to be, thank you for the rule changes. Yes. I still hate the DH. But the other rule changes <laughs> are terrific for you know, making the game go quicker. And it's it's been successful. But you have the ability and how you slice the pie. And, and ultimately that's what you're doing is you have an asset. And how are you going to deal with that asset? Can you only see that asset in a three hour broadcast? Or can I buy segments of that access? Mm -hmm. Or can I buy access to getting some number of segments? Like I believe that at some point I'll be able to say, okay, I wanna see, I'm gonna pay for five highlights from every Dodger game of the season. And it's just in my inbox wow. the next day. Why not? Yeah. Because, you know, we lived in this world, this growth of cable and the relative lifetime of, you know, the boom of cable, the calculus up and now it's declined. Mm -hmm. It's a relatively short period of time. And, you know, you went up the bundle 10 years ago. The bundle is sacrosanct. No one's going to pay a la carte. Well, come on. We live in an a la carte world. Right. We live in, you know, little snippets of info and social media as you, you as you led with. Social media teaches us that we can express content in 15-second increments. Right. So there's a lot of changes. I think there's still the appetite for sports. It's two parts. It's how you're going to consume it, which I think is more going to be more and more streaming, and how much of it are you going to consume? Are you willing to just buy a highlight package? Another way to slice the pie. And I think, you know, my gut, this is just, anecdotal gut comment my gut is that 
people want some information, you know, I can get a game for, you know, five ninety nine or I can get five highlights for three ninety nine, I might spend the three ninety nine and not think about how well, I'm getting two minutes of content versus two hours. It's what I want when I want it. The millennial anthem. Well, and as you realize, uh, some people may not. Apple, Amazon, Netflix, these streaming companies have a lot of cash at hand. So they can go out and buy programming. They're buying more rights. We saw Amazon pay, what, $100 million for the Black Friday game that's going to be in the NFL this year. First time ever, a Black Friday game. I mean, you think about that, $100 million they're paying to broadcast one game. It's They've got a lot of money on hand. What's really interesting is I think Apple is, as we say, and Amazon are kind of sui generis. They're in and of themselves because they have such a broad swath of income streams. Right. You look at a company like Netflix and Amazon, the, not the, the media company, and they're losing money. They're losing money nonstop, but they keep buying. They're spending, what was it last year? Netflix spent $17.1 billion on content. Wow. Now, it'll serve them well when, you know, we could be on strike in the entertainment industry for till November, they're talking. Uh, but you've got content built up and you can keep your audience. But are people going to be tuning in to watch repeats of Saturday Night Live? Not so much would be my guess. And, you know, when I was a kid, you had the regular season of TV and then you watched reruns all summer. Right. Um, is the appetite for watching those reruns going to be as robust on linear television? I think the if this strike continues, which I think it will, sadly, uh, because SAG-AFTRA just apparently says that they're going out. Uh, the writers, you know, we could talk about that, this whole other discussion about the asks. But when you lose that content, what are you left with? Reality programming and sports. So Lachlan Murdoch the other day said, oh, no worries, mate. We got a lot of live sports and a lot of reality programming. But there's lots of shifts, and it's just how, how nimble you are in, in, the, uh, in the space. And, you know, you have sports fans. Us sports fans want to see our teams. We want to see our events. We want to see our sports we're learning more and more that we're willing to pay for them however we can get them. The ease of the cable bundle is slipping away. And so, you know, you do the math and you say, well, if I get rid of that and I have this and this and I buy this and I this and this and this and I'm only buying all these things, you end up with the same number you've been paying for the bundle anyway. You just got, you know, seven charges on your credit card bill instead of one. Right. But you feel like I got to pick what I wanted. Well, I think that's the psychology of it. And ultimately, the consumer wants the content. That old expression, content is king, has never been truer. And it's just we're in a world now where when I was a little kid, turned on the TV, adjusted the rabbit ears. Right. <laughs> and, you know, hopefully you got a good signal. I grew up in L.A. I was lucky. I had 2, 4, 5, 7, 9, 11, and 13. Yeah. And the educational channel, as we called okay. it. It was on UHF and really fuzzy. And then all of a sudden, you know, you started developing cable and real cable growth and distribution wasn't really till the 80s. Right. So we're talking about a period, we're not even 40 years to the rise and the decline of what everybody said was the end all and be all. Right. And as the internet expanded, you know, and that, that universe is a very rapid growth in terms of, you know, when the first desktops, when did you, anybody have their first desktops in, 
in, in, a, in a big way wasn't really till the early 90s. Right. So 30 years of that, and we've gone from that, remember the dial-up, and then the screen sort of populating, and then the broadband world where it's just like, bang, oh, it's not fast enough anymore. When it just go, We get spoiled because we, again, we want it, we want it now, we want it when we want it. So I think that's why the development of technology, the development of social media has helped us, or maybe not helped us, it has certainly moved us to a place where getting content when we want it is important. Now, live sports again is one of is 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 a part because people want to want to see it, even though you can go on any one of a number of apps and follow along what's happening in real time in a game. But you know, again, there's something special about sitting down and watching a game. It's like watching a play watching a movie you want to see how the story unfolds what are all the elements what is the storytelling my former bosses the 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 great david hill and ed Gorin taught me that when you're doing television there's a picture out there and you can see the picture the announcer's job is more about adding to the storytelling the pictures tell a story those announcers are just giving you the accents the patina the the little information that makes you more engaged in the product. So I think consumers still want that. Uh, the question is, is are, how long are consumers going to be willing to sit there for so many hours? I mean, if you look at the rating on national sports, it seems to be the consumer still wants it. Right. I want to ask you a couple more questions before I let you go. Uh, the sports media rights bubble. So we know people are going to pay big dollars for the NFL and the NBA, but I see something like the Pac-12, and they're struggling to get a deal. And I'm starting to wonder, is the live sports media rights bubble, is it decreasing a little bit, or is it going to only hold steady or increase in the future? Oh, chicken little, the sky is not falling. <laughs> I think the Pac-12 is a is a very different thing, and you have to go back to when Larry Scott, as the commissioner, decided he wanted to launch a network without network partners. Right. Not but a good idea. Did not turn out to be a very good idea. And when you lose the two teams in the Los Angeles market oh boy. Yeah. to the Big 12, and you haven't announced who's coming in, and you're not going to get any LA teams. You know, the best you might get is a San Diego market if you bring in San Diego State. And maybe you bring in, I don't know, BYU. I mean, but they're not big media markets. The value proposition there for your network is less. And right now they're looking at a, you know, if you read the, the news reports and the likelihood they're going to probably end up doing a, a pure streaming deal. Uh, much to the chagrin of the other members of the conference, but, you know, UCLA and SC took the money and ran. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a Pac-12 guy, so yeah. I am not happy about that. Yeah. We um, had Martin Jarmond on recently, um, and, you know, we talked all about this. And, you know, the money was too good for UCLA and, and USC. And the other thing is, too, and this is a totally different topic, but you talk about media exposure. You know, I think a lot of the Pac-12 schools, the athletes and the ADs and coaches, they're tired of playing at 10 or 1030 at night on the East Coast and they want more exposure. So if you can play your games 
on national TV in a part of the day where more people are going to see you and it's going to help those NIL deals and things like that. Of course, that's what you're after. Well, look, I think that the Pac-12 doing that, Pac-12 after dark or whatever they called the yeah. 7 p.m. Yeah. East West Coast start time, uh, none of the athletes liked it. The fans didn't like it. You know, if I want to fly up to Berkeley for a game, I love taking an early morning flight, seeing a noon game, take the last plane home, make yeah. a little day trip. Yeah. Uh, that's sort of like the tradition that I grew up with that so many people I know grew up with. But now you don't know what time. Uh, Fox did a great thing a couple years ago. They went for their big noon Saturday program with a you know Pacific 9 a.m. start mm-hmm. time. Ratings juggernaut. Right. They killed it last year. And they had the big, big 12, which were the you know, big 10, which was great content, great games. Uh, they found a way to make the early morning work. So much of the landscape is, you know, you talked about the financial incentives. When you look at the students, now that you have this transfer portal where you can transfer and not lose eligibility. Right. And even though they're saying, oh, there's no pay to play in NIL. Oh, Pollyanna, where art thou? Um, yeah, I'm sure Bronny James picked USC just because he liked the school, right? Well, I mean, Bronny James, I, who, who knows about it, but... Independent of where he would have gone, he's Bronny James. Right. He doesn't need the school or what it brings. Right. But, you know, Caleb Williams left Oklahoma, came to USC. Yep. As powerful and as tradition-laden as University of Oklahoma may be, USC is in this media market, and the opportunities are probably significantly greater. And that becomes a business decision And it's really interesting to sort of look at the way the world has changed to say student athletes are now making business decisions about where they're going to apply their athletic trade. But if you, you know, you take the uh, the math, the math view, as I call it, and you say, let's say there's for argument's sake, let's say there's 10,000 Division One highest ranking conference football players. And let's say a quarter of them graduate every year. That's twenty five hundred. Of those 2,500, how many are going to go on to play in the NFL? Not many. A handful. Right. So you've got these, this other group, and they've spent all of this time and all of this effort and all of this college, and they may have been successful, and they may have had fame, they have notoriety, but they get to another college year, and God willing, they've used that scholarship and get an education and get a degree. Not always the case. So you find a lot of these kids, you know, now they have the ability you know, well, I'm going to play. I may not be a starter, but if I go to this school, they have like this giant collective and, you know, I, maybe I can pick up a little walking around money right. that I can legally get because in the prior iteration, if you were a scholarship athlete, you weren't allowed to have a job. You weren't allowed to do anything. And that meant you might not have enough money for food. So unless you came from a well-to-do family, not a common occurrence, it was a struggle. And I think it takes away, I mean, might it still exist, but, you know, I come from an era where we just referred to it as the $100 handshake. Great game, kid. Right. Or, you know, (laughs) the recruiting envelope, as it was called. And now they don't have to, they may still do that, but you don't have to do it anymore. And you can't say, if you come to our school, you'll make this. But let's read between the lines here. Yeah. You know, it's part of the, the, the thought, the, the, the problem-solving process of where am I going to go? You know, do I have a chance to play? 
you know, if I'm like an elite guy that's got NFL written all over him, maybe it's a little different. If I'm a guy who know I can play in college, you know, am I going to play at this school where I may be on the bench or am I going to be at this school or I'm going to be on the bench? But like those University of Miami players, I'm going to make $6,500 or $5,900, whatever the number is. That's a huge difference in a kid's life. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I paid my way through college. Every nickel and dime mattered to me. Right. So I think that's, that's one of the biggest changes. And, you know, again, a school that has a, the Big Ten with their billion-dollar-year media platform and the exposure, not only does it bring in more opportunities for these student-athletes, but it brings in an opportunity to make a bit more money than you might make at some other school. Whether or not you play more or less, that's, that's up to the fates. All right, before I let you go, and this is just something I'm curious about, and I know you've been doing this for a long time and you've been the president of SLA. What's the most litigated thing in sports business right now? Like, is it, is it media rights? Is it NIL? Is it something well, there's, else? Nothing's litigated in media rights. Those are done. Okay. I mean, we have some stuff going on. The big issue is what we started talking about was with uh, the diamond bankruptcy filing right. and that fallout. That's a big issue. I think really what you're looking at now is there's a, I don't know how many cases we're up to. There's a bunch of efforts for class certification cases, uh, suing the NCAA and the Power Five conferences for name, image, and likeness money that was withheld prior to its uh, athletes being able to get it. So there's a number of cases filed in the Northern District of California where the O'Bannon case was originally filed before the same judge, Judge Wilkin, um, that's talking about, can we certify a class of all these former athletes who are denied their right to make NIL money? And first of all, is it really, can you get the class certified? And secondly, if you do, what are the damages looking at? And I think my opinion, you're in a universe where you're threatening the future existence of college sports. So is this like, just so I understand, is this like Matt Leinert, Zion Williamson, Candace Parker, people like that coming forward today and saying, you know what? If this had been around when we were playing, we would have made X. We want some payment. And because of the antitrust violation by the NC2A that created a, a rule that they shouldn't have been able to create, we would have been able to make this. And but for that rule, we were denied this compensation. Wow. Now, I, the one one case that I've looked at, they're only seeking back from to 2016. So Leinert would be out of it, for example. Right. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that are in it. But there's we could talk for hours and hours about the problems in, in doing something like that. I think what we really need to focus on is that student athletes or collegiate athletes, I like calling them collegiate athletes better than student athletes because you really don't know how much all of them are really students, and I hate to say that, but you look at collegiate athletes and you say, you're making, especially in the Power Five conferences, you're making your institution millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars a year you're basically functioning as a full-time employee and your quid pro quo is a scholarship that is, except in most instances, probably less than a minimum wage or certainly less than the federal wage and hour law for an exempt employee might be. 
So you've got a lot of problems there. And then, you know, all of a sudden, if I'm an employee, is my, my scholarship has to be taxable. So I'm losing money. I mean, the world is changing dramatically. And, and I think if we could just sort of step back and say college athletics is a good thing for the student, for the athlete, for the alums, for the schools, income streams, especially where you see uh, tax money is not going to universities the way they used to 40, 50 years ago. I think if you, you know, you now let these kids make a little walking around money and some, you know, starting that effort to build generational right. wealth, what we talked about, right. that's great. They deserve it. But I think you get into huge structural problems when you start saying, let's go back and take care of what they might have made because the only way to do it is very granular. So if you say all scholarship athletes, it becomes this crazy compromise because I might have been a scholarship athlete as an offensive tackle that got in one game my whole career and the pious believe it evenly. So I get the same as my starting quarterback who might have been making a million dollars a year. So there's layers and layers and layers and layers of problems. I think we should be happy that these kids get to make money on the up and up and college sports seems to be pretty healthy. Some of these suits could damage it and could bring the whole thing down. And I hope people, people see that because when you bring that down, you're going to expect you're going to impact the academic institutions. When you impact the academic institutions, you impact the vibrancy of intellectual curiosity, which drives change and innovation, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you have to be very careful about saying, you know, what about, what, why didn't I get it? Well, place and time, you know, do I want to go back and say, Hey, my first job as a box boy, I was making a dollar 56 an hour. They're making, you know, $18 an hour. Right. Why didn't I get it? Things change, you know, and it, when it gets better, embrace the better. And sometimes, you know, that what's that saying? Timing is everything. That's where I think we're at. Bobby Hacker, thank you so much. This has been so insightful. We appreciate you joining us on Sports Business Radio. Thank you very much. Pleasure. There's nothing common about you. Not your talent, your drive, your achievements, or even your challenges. You need distinctive financial strategies that match your lifestyle and career trajectory. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment was created to address your specific needs at every stage of your career and deliver the financial education and strategies you need to help advance your game plan. They speak the language, they know your business. Morgan Stanley will work with you to achieve your goals. I've trusted Morgan Stanley with my personal wealth management for almost 20 years. Visit Morgan Stanley at morganstanley.com backslash GSE. That's morganstanley.com backslash GSE. Now, back to the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. My guest is Allison Rich. She is the Director of Athletics at the University of New Hampshire. You've worked at Princeton as well. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. How are you? Thank you. Great. Thanks for having me. So, okay, I am so interested in, in speaking with you as an athletic director. It's such an interesting time, I would imagine, to be an athletic director. We've got NIL. We have so many other things going on like what's at the top of your to-do list <laughs> i really want to make sure our student athletes have the best possible experience that's first and foremost and then whatever we can do with all of the new things happening make sure that we're in compliance but also make sure we're providing them the resources that they need to be able to do the things they want to do yeah 
how are they navigating NIL? And I know, you know, we talked with uh, Bobby Hacker earlier and there is a little bit of, um, you know, some people are really in NIL and other people, it's not impacting them as much. What are you seeing? A little of both. I think it depends. You know, it's, it's probably not as, as crazy as some Power 5 schools. I think we're seeing a lot of it. Um, the, the original intent of it was to allow student-athletes to do everything that, that students who aren't athletes can do. So have a, create a product, have a company, be influencers, all of that. And so we do have some of that. We're seeing some student-athletes are doing a lot to educate themselves and really get out there and find opportunities. Others might be interested but haven't, you know, found what they want to do. And then others, you know, are just aren't Aren't interested, so it's a little bit slower for us. But we're we're trying to give them the the tools to to do the things that they want to do. So, Sports Business Radio works with Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. I know they're the presenting sponsor of the SLA they conference are. here. Great partners. Uh, financial literacy is a big part of what they're helping athletes and entertainers with. What's your experience with Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment? Well, they've been great partners of ours for many years with the Sports Lawyers Association. So we love working with them. And I've learned a little bit about their financial education. I've seen the playbook, which mm-hmm. is amazing. Uh, they do they do great work. And it's it's such an important thing. You know, as we have student athletes who are creating their businesses and starting to get paid and work that have never done so before, they not they don't even all know about taxes, no less, you know, how do you organize things? What do you need to do? What do you need to file? All of those types of things. You know, how does it affect their scholarships or any need-based financial aid? So having that, that financial financial education, even just a budget would be really helpful. Yeah. I would imagine today's athlete probably needs more resources than the athlete of 20 years ago. For sure. For sure. Definitely trying to give them all that education. You know, they'll come in and they'll be concerned about managing money, but they want to purchase the the latest iPhone, which is understandable. We're all using them. I'm holding mine now. Right. So, (laughs) but I think it's, it's something where we just want to educate them as how do you balance your, your budget? How do you manage your money? How, how can you make it so you can do all the things that you want to do without having any kind of penalties? Women's sports, it's growing. I love to see it. We talk about it a lot on this show. Um, We just did a show with Angel City FC last week. Um, From where you sit, is it going in the right direction? Absolutely. I mean, our women's sports are some of our strongest teams at Princeton, too. We had mm-hmm. so many championships. And yeah. so I just love supporting our all of our student-athletes, but our, our women's student-athletes to, to give them the opportunity to participate, to have all the resources that maybe in years past didn't have, just having celebrated the 50th anniversary of Title IX. I think we're we're not all there as a, as a country, as an association, but I think we've made a lot of progress. And so to educate them on where we've been and where we're going and how they can be helpful moving forward is really key. Where does the NCAA fit into everything? I think a lot of people are asking that question. I have friends at the NCAA, you know, nothing but good things to say about them. But I think with the world evolving as it is, people are wondering, like, where do they fit into this puzzle? Yeah, it's tough because the NCAA, it's a membership association. So right. we are the NCAA. It's not some amorphous governing body in Indianapolis. And so the decisions that are made are made by the schools and the conferences. And so I think that gets lost a lot. The, the hard part is there are so many of us. And so to be nimble and make these decisions quickly and and collaboratively can sometimes be difficult because every school does things slightly differently than the, the school next to them. And so I think it's going to be 
be very important for us. I mean, the NCAA exists mainly for student athlete health and well-being and protections and competition, postseason championships. And those are two really important things. And it's grown over the years to try to support student athletes and schools in other ways. And I think we have to kind of get back to that and know that not every school is going to be the same or have the same resources, but, but people really love the championships, right? Mm-hmm. And student athletes really get a great benefit out of participating in their sport at whatever division, whatever level, whatever that sport is. And mm-hmm. so if we can do that, we have all these other things to balance and I don't want to make it sound easier than it is, but I think it's, it's important that I remember that and we can certainly find a way to move forward. I've been on several college campuses in the last few months. I went to college uh, years ago. I won't date myself, but <laughs> same. <laughs> it, it's like the arms race. I mean, these colleges, it's unbelievable to me, the resources, the facilities. It's incredible. I'm like, wow, I went to college at the wrong time. Right? I been going, <laughs> like, I want to go back to college after I've been on some of these campuses. But again, from where you sit, it's probably amazing, but it's also like, wow, we really have to keep up because it's a competitive landscape. It's a challenge and everything's really expensive and yeah. more and more expensive as the days go on. But but student athletes, they're looking for what does the campus look like? What are the facilities? What is my gear? What do my uniforms right. look like? And it's really important. And everything's out on social media. So it, it you know what every place looks like and what they're dealing with. So it's, it's a lot. But again, we want to try to keep up and, and have that great experience. So a lot of it is, is fundraising and, and working with our our community and our donors to, to try to help us out. Do you think there's ever a bubble that bursts there? I mean, we talked about sports media rights earlier with Bobby Hacker and you just wonder like they keep going up and up and up. And, and I asked the same question with, you know, college tuitions and just the expenses around going to college. You wonder at a certain point, is that bubble going to burst or is it just going to keep going up and up? Yeah. It doesn't seem real anymore sometimes when you think about the numbers Seriously. that are involved. Yeah. yeah. But I think for now, no, I mean, it might get to the point where everyone says, okay, that's good, but I don't know. I, I think it'll, it'll just keep growing because there'll be some new technology or some new product to use that whether it gives you the edge or it just feels good or it looks like it gives you the edge, but I think there'll always be that because it's, it's competition. We're all super competitive and we want to be better than, better than our competition, better than our neighbors, you know, and, and, and do the best we possibly can. So. Yeah. Last question for you uh, here at this conference. What were you looking forward to the most? Like, what have you been talking about with your your colleagues? What are the hot topics? Oh, the hot topics. I say this this conference is amazing, and we just love seeing everybody. It's right. such a great association and so much collegiality, and it's such a big industry, and yet it, it ends up being so small when you get down to because we all everybody knows somebody who knows somebody. Yeah. But you know, the topics. There's a lot of topics like NIL, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. and uh, we talked about words matter this morning. I was on a panel about about discrimination and about yep. about how you how you treat people and, and mm-hmm. DEI and how do you create these cultures and the environments where everybody can feel welcome and included. And we always have our ethics panel, which is always entertaining and we try to make that fun. But just there's so many hot topics. We always end up with too many, which is a good problem to have, I suppose, and why we have a fall symposium now so we can address some of them at another time. But and, and maybe some will be out on webinars. But just you can always count on finding the, the best, most current topics in sports law. Allison Rich, thank you so much for joining us on Sports Business Radio. This was a pleasure. Sure, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Talent, hard work, focus, and determination got you here. Now take the right steps to prepare for your future and ensure that you stay at the top of your game, your business, your craft. Morgan Stanley Sports and Entertainment is a division of Morgan Stanley Wealth Management dedicated to serving the unique and sophisticated needs of elite 
and professional athletes, entertainers, executives, creators, and other top talent and professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. They deliver the education, strategies, and expertise you need to help advance your financial game plan at every stage of your career journey. They speak the language. They know your business. Morgan Stanley will work with you to achieve your goals. I've trusted Morgan Stanley with my personal wealth management for almost 20 years. Visit Morgan Stanley at morganstanley.com backslash G-S-E. Now, back to the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. I'm here with Brian Sokolow. He is a partner and co-chair with the sports practice group Loeb and Loeb. Thank you so much for joining us. We're at the Sports Lawyers Association Conference. This is the first time we're sitting down in person. Thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. It's great to be here. I've been coming to the Sports Lawyers Association Conference for many years, get to see a lot of people that I know, get to learn a lot about what's going on in sports and a lot of the types of sports business matters that I handle. So it's not only great to meet you, it's uh, great for me to be at this conference. Let's start with ownership structures. We've seen a lot of teams uh, bought and sold. We've seen uh, Jimmy Haslam buy into the Milwaukee Bucks. We've seen Matt Ishbia take over the Phoenix Suns. How is that landscape changing? Because it used to be it was just one owner, and now it's a bunch of owners owning stakes in teams. It's changing dramatically, and I think what you have a couple of things happening. Primarily, and this is a good thing for leagues and teams and owners, the franchise values of teams in, in the major sports in the United States and many other places around the world are increasing drastically, dramatically. They're skyrocketing. That means that when you have to write a check for a billion, two billion, five billion dollars to own the team, there are just fewer and fewer individuals who can do that. So the way the leagues are adjusting to that is they're now allowing private equity to come in, which is a huge change for for many years that was not permitted and it had to be an individual. So now you're you're allowing private equity to come in. They can own particular amount of teams and not all leagues, but we're, we're getting to there. Um, and you have groups that um, basically are funds that will own pieces of many teams or in different leagues. So that's just a, a, a very different way of structuring ownership. It has a lot of ramifications in a lot of ways, not all of which have been understood so far. But um, that's really the, the consequence of the value of franchises going up so much. You need to find more buyers so that they, those prices, those franchise values can continue to go up. One of the things we've talked about a lot on this show is when a player is being drafted, when a coach is being hired, we see this intense vetting process. We don't see the same thing with the owners. And, you know, I'll mention Dan Snyder, like there have been other owners in sports where you wonder, will we ever have the day where the owners or these minority owners are vetted more thoroughly than they have been? Where do you think we're going with that? I think the answer to that is definitely yes. And the way the sports ownership, sort of the vetting process works with the, at least the major sports leagues that, that I'm aware of. Sometimes if it's a first time buyer, everybody knows them and they're going to be approved. That definitely happens. A lot of the time before a buyer is approved, even just a piece of a team or the entire team, they've become a sort of a, a known quantity to that league. Maybe they tried to buy a team beforehand. Maybe they were invited by somebody at the league. Hey, 
why don't you think about buying a team or becoming an owner? And that way, they're sort of known quantities and they're vetted along the way. So when you get to the point where they're going to be the focal point of a deal, they're known, they've been vetted, and it can be an easier process. But it's absolutely critical that those things happen because Dan Snyder being probably the, the preeminent example, no league wants to have a Dan Snyder as the owner. It causes all sorts of problems. They all want to stay away from that. They want, want to protect their assets, broadly speaking, and the value of that asset. And it probably starts with having a really good, strong, and respected owner. I want to move on and talk about sports media rights. Um, streaming has really exploded. We've had a lot of you know, HBO, Apple Plus, Netflix on this show in, in recent months. And you, know, you see uh, F1 and PGA Tour and even individual athletes having things on, on streaming. Where is that all going? Because it seems kind of like undefined right now, and it's still kind of the Wild West. Where do you think we're going with this? I, I think that's a good way to put it. It is the Wild West, and it's developed. Think about you know 10 years ago, how much of the streaming that we see now existed 10 years ago? Very little. Right. And I think it's going to continue to develop. I'll just give you two quick ways that, that I look at it. Just two stories that I have. This is a number of years ago, and I heard Neil Pilson, who was the president of CBS right. Sports for a number of years, and he described the negotiation for the NFL broadcast contract, and maybe it was the 1970s or 1980s, and he said, yeah, the whole contract was a seven-page contract, right? <laughs> now, like, you have seven pages, you probably have more than seven pages of definitions. You have more than seven pages right talking about the, mo the most minute detail of streaming and geo-blocking and things like that. So just the expansion of those rights and how they become so much more complicated, and you see that in the media negotiations. So that's one thing. So you, you definitely see a change in what those rights are, how they get bid, and, and, and how much you have to pay for them. So I, I, think, that's, um, I think that's really going to continue. Yeah. I mean, I look at MLS and Apple. And I see, I mean, it was widely reported. I haven't seen the contract with my own two eyes, but it was widely reported that there's an opt-out for Major League Soccer after, I think, two years. So you wonder, like, are there going to be those deals where if things don't work out for either side, they can opt out? Yeah, it's trial and error. The, the Major League Soccer deal, again, from what, what you're saying and what I've heard, is like that. Let's see how it goes. It sounds like it's a great deal and we'll see how it turns out. And maybe you need opt-outs because there is so much unknown. There is so much new technology and we don't know how that's going to be accepted by the consumer, what's going to be successful and what's not, how much proliferation of sports streaming is going to be too much and how the industry is going to consolidate. Um, so I think that, that, that remains to be seen exactly how that's um, how that's going to play out. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, another sandbox that you play in well is uh, data. And I mean, we see data for performance. We see data for sports betting. We see data for fan engagement, for ticketing. So many ways that data is used. And I feel like that's kind of the Wild West too. And we're trying to wrap our arms around who owns it. How do they use it? What rights do they have? How is this all kind of evolving? I think that's exactly right. And it's the same, the same discussion we're just having about technology. Mm -hmm. It's evolving. Data is an asset. It's intellectual property. The definition of what that data is is evolving. 
the rules put in place for who owns it and who can how that how it can be used and how you pay for it and what the value of that data is that's all evolving and we see it now uh, addressed more a little bit more comprehensively in collective bargaining agreements in the major leagues as they come up and that's just going to be that's just par for the course to use a, a different analogy there's nothing definitive definitive about it yet a lot of people are uh, in that space, a lot of money around data, I'll say, is coming in. So um, it's all all has to be worked out. But I think between the different technologies and an asset like data, I think that's really part of the the tremendous future of growth that we're going to see in sports. Do you think ultimately the teams are going to own it? Is it going to be the athletes? I know you mentioned a collective bargaining agreement, so maybe it's a partnership. Where do you think this lands? Okay, my crystal ball says it's going to be something of a partnership. Okay, um, who somebody might own it, but somebody else might want to be might be in a better position to monetize it, and because there's likely to be so much money in that pot from data, they're going to be able to figure out okay, how do we do this? How do we both make money from this? So that, that's what I expect will happen. And just as an example, like with sports gambling data, is this where you know? Uh, MGM or a Caesars or, you know, one of these big companies, I see the deals with the leagues themselves. And I'm assuming it's probably going to exclusive deal where, you know, they're working with that specific company. It's not a bunch of companies. Um, And then, you know, when you're doing all the sports gambling, like that data is being used for the sports gambling. Is that kind of how that works? Yeah, I think that's exactly how that works. And it's become such a valuable asset. Um, You know, sports gambling in the U.S. is, let's just call it, it's about five years old, unless you went to Nevada and went to to one of the the books in in Nevada. So five years old, a lot of money in gambling in the U.S., but very small compared to various parts in the world. That's going to continue to grow. Data is going to be a big part of that. I don't think there's any question about it. And you see companies that have come to the fore who are trying to become the major players in that space. When you control the data, you control a lot of things about it, and you can control different revenue streams that are accruing to that data. Um, so it's also, to you, to use your word, it's evolving, and it's mm-hmm. going to continue to evolve. Uh, there's so much money to be made there. We're, I think we've really only seen the tip of it in the United States. So that'll definitely be another big trend in sports. Okay, something else evolving, and I'm sure it's a big topic at this conference, is name, image, likeness, NIL. Um, again, this is pretty new and a lot of people are still figuring out how to navigate this. Uh, you know, we're in Los Angeles, so Bronny just signed with USC. He, you know, they put a valuation of $5.9 million on his NIL value. I'm not quite sure how they assign a specific value to an athlete. We've seen Livy Dunn at LSU, uh, Haley Van Leith just transferred to LSU these are big deals being made now for these athletes. I've had like Matt Leinart and others on before, and they've said, man, I wish there had been NIL when I was playing. Timing is everything. It really is. But like, how is this evolving? Tremendously. Um, it's evolving in many different ways. And I see it as a lawyer. I see, and I'm involved in some of these NIL deals. So I see how it's evolving in terms of NIL has more acceptance. You have more brands who are coming into the space who are willing to get involved in NIL and pay the money. So you definitely see that. On the regulatory front, 
it seems like there's either a new state law or an amendment to a state law every week. Um, there's more, I'll call it the arms race among colleges and universities. They want to be in the best position to essentially recruit athletes. And NIL is absolutely a piece of that these days. So you have the, the legal aspect that is evolving in terms of state laws um, and, and policies that affect schools that are giving more leeway to schools or their coaches to be more directly involved in the NIL, not only the NIL conversation, but really NIL deal-making. And then on top of that, you have an overlay of what is, what is first of all, the NCAA going to do? We don't know. And what is Congress going to do? We don't know. So you've got many moving pieces. And again, from my little narrow corner of the world as the lawyer, I'm trying to marshal all of this so I can explain to clients, here's how it all works. And, and what I said last week might not be true next week because so much is changing. Wow. How many people playing in the NIL space, as far as the student athletes, are finding an expert like you and saying, I need help navigating this versus, oh, my mom and dad will handle my NIL deal for me? Well, this the way I've heard it, and I think this is true, and a couple ways to look at it. You're talking about the 99% and the 1%. And I'm generally representing the 1% right. because their deals are big enough that they can really afford a, a lawyer at a law firm of my size and they need a lawyer for the contracts because they're complicated or it's big dollar values and it makes sense to have a lawyer take a look at it now for that 99 percent, do some of them also need a lawyer to help them the answer is absolutely i've i've worked with the 99 percent, i'll call them and seen some of the contracts that they're being presented and you really need to understand them if you're that student athlete. You need to understand what exclusivity means. You need to understand what the tax implications are if you sign this deal. So there are a lot of things that you need to understand. Um, you need to understand what other restrictions are put in the contract. You need to know those things, first of all, so that you don't get caught in a, in a situation where you've done something improper and you've put yourself at risk. But you also need to understand that so you're not um, you know, sort of limiting what your future looks like in, in some ways. Um, so it's really, I think it's very important that, that for most of those deals, somebody, the school, a lawyer, even if it is a family friend or advising them about the legal aspects, they just need to be aware of it. Like you would need to be aware of it for any contract you sign. Look into the crystal ball five years from now, you said 99% and 1%. What's that pie look like? Um, I think, I think maybe the 99% will have shifted a bit. I think NIL will be more accepted by more people. I will. I think you will continue to see brands come in the space and put more money in there. And that will be because it's been proven that college athletes are good. I'll call them influencers, influencers or good marketers. And it's worth that. It's worth the money to be invested in them to try to help brands do whatever they want to do with those brands or get involved in in charitable causes or things like that. So I think you'll see more college athletes benefiting with more money. The 1% will probably always still be the 1%. It's going to be a handful of high-profile football players, basketball players. But I also think that you will see more um, women's athletes, more, uh, more female um, student athletes who, have, who comprise more of that 1%. The growth of college, women's college basketball, um, volleyball is definitely on the upswing. Gymnastics, we've seen examples of how, of how that can really 
be um, effective. And I think other women's sports will continue to grow. I think they're going to get more media exposure generally. That's going to translate to college as well. So I expect that you'll see uh, more of an impact of, uh, of female uh, student athletes. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the growth of women's sports. We just did a show focusing on Angel City FC. They have a new documentary out on HBO focusing on kind of how they've changed the blueprint for running a women's pro sports team. Um, we saw Final Four, big ratings. Um, we see the growth, like you said, in the media of coverage. That seems like there's a lot of room for growth still. Like if you're buying a stock, that seems like a stock that a lot of people are getting in on now while it's still relatively affordable. Completely. I think the way you put it is right. There's a lot of room for growth. I would buy that stock. Um, and we see it not just, hey, this should happen. Let's buy. You, you see it sort of on the ground. You see it, if you want it, boots on the ground or call it fans in the seats, you see it with the NWSL, with the San Diego Wave, who last year, uh, their, uh, one of their games, they had 32,000 right. plus people sold out their stadium, which was tremendous. You're going to see more of that. You're going to see that in more sports. You turn on um, television now, you will see um, women's gymnastics featured to sold out audiences. So you're going to see growth there. I think as more money comes into the WNBA, you're going to see that there as well. You're going to see WNBA specific arenas or NWSL specific soccer stadiums. So it's all, I, I think women's sports generally is on a very significant upward growth trajectory. Some of it is based on what's happened in for the Women's World Cup in soccer um, and other things. Um, women's basketball, definitely women's um, NCAA basketball um, next year, I think, should as long as they all stay healthy, um, all the stars stay healthy. That's going to be a really fascinating year with a lot more media coverage and I think uh, fan interest. And that should just continue with other sports. I, uh, so I'm a buyer of that stock. We saw the U.S. Women's National Team finally get equal pay. Um, we see in the WNBA they're trying to get chartered flights. Do you think this is going to improve the conditions for the women athletes? Yes, I, I think it will. And I think where it starts is there's now sort of a focus on, um, I'll, I'll call it the, the equality or the equity um, for women's sports. Um, you might not have the same well you don't have the same um revenue levels that the the nba has but i think what we're starting to see is a mindset going beyond just the revenue levels to to say this is something that we should be investing in and if we have charter flights or do these other things that that make it easier or better for the players you're going to see the ramifications of that you're going to see players maybe play better maybe attract more fans maybe attract more media coverage the value of the media rights are going to go up the players salaries are going to go up uh it's going to be more of a cachet i went to that wnba game and not just the nba game so i think all this is a cycle that we're just seeing to start build all right as i let you go other than linkedin is there any place that people can follow your thoughts opinions thought leadership um, they can check out uh, my bio on my website at uh, Loeb and Loeb, uh, which is uh, Loeb, L-O-E-B dot com. Uh, that's the law firm where I work. It'll tell you a little bit about what I do. Occasionally, I write articles, um, and that's probably the best way to find me. And if anybody wants to connect with me on LinkedIn, happy to connect that way as well. 
Brian Tocolo, thank you so much. You've been very insightful. Uh, a pleasure to meet you in person and uh, appreciate you joining me on Sports Business Radio. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. There's nothing common about you. Not your talent, your drive, your achievements, or even your challenges. You need distinctive financial strategies that match your lifestyle and career trajectory. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment was created to address your specific needs at every stage of your career and deliver the financial education and strategies you need to help advance your game plan. They speak the language. They know your business. Morgan Stanley will work with you to achieve your goals. I've trusted Morgan Stanley with my personal wealth management for almost 20 years. Visit Morgan Stanley at morganstanley.com backslash GSE. That's morganstanley.com backslash GSE. Now, back to the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. I'm joined by Laith Gafour. He is the president-elect for the Sports Lawyers Association. He's the CEO of the Lucentem Media Group. Thank you for joining us on Sports Business Radio. We're here at the SLA conference in Los Angeles. How's it going so far? Oh, it feels great. It feels great to have everyone back. Smiling faces, people who have been thinking about a lot of great ideas over the last couple of years, and I feel like that's all coming to fruition. Uh, it's a great time to be back. As president-elect, what's that like? What's on your agenda? What do you want to accomplish uh, when you step in? You know what? It's, it, I think the word being president kind of provides that perspective, but this organization is very different. This organization is, is, is all about teamwork. It's all about uh, uh, you know, working together. And it's different because you have all of these rock stars in the room. Every single person on that board uh, in this community, members, are all absolutely all stars in their own communities and their cities and states. And so what you're trying to do is just figure out ways to have great discussions, great debates. Um, and then at the end of the day, you figure out best idea wins. And, and I think that's, that's a different sort of model um, on different sorts of boards where you have different levels of expertise here, you've got a bunch of people who all are experts in specific areas. And so it's almost a Swiss Army knife approach when it comes to figuring out what's the next big challenge. And that's, that's how I look at it. Um, it it's very collegial. Ultimately, the, the public-facing responsibility on behalf of the board is mine. And, but I also feel that it's in that discussion format that, that we all coalesce on ideas. Yeah, for our audience who's not familiar with SLA, Sports Lawyers Association, how many people are on the board? Um, give us a little bit of an idea of the representation. You mentioned the diversity on the board, the different sectors that are represented. Yeah, the, 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 the organization had, had a very interesting genesis, and I wasn't there for it. But, you know, the beginning, the first meetings, there were five, five folks in the room. And, and the story that's been told to me is that, you know, those five people approached the state bar saying, you know, we, we, we love what you provide, but can you give us some more stuff in relation to sports? And, and it, didn't, it didn't land. And so as all great uh, ingenuity comes about as a result of, of some lack of representation in the market. And so the board itself is, is comprised of folks in all elements. And the initial genesis was on the player side and the team side, and then it expanded to the various uh, different dimension of the business. Uh, and so now we've got folks on the athletic side and the co collegiate space, folks in the amateur side, certainly on the pro side. Um, we've got folks in the academic space. We've got people in um, uh, the full uh, range of um, the sports section. So if you go through the sports section, the old sport, yeah, you would find people there. And, and that's why I said the, the idea of leading 
means that depending on what's on the headline, right? If the headline is that part of the business, we shift the table around and say, hey, what are you thinking? What's your idea? How does this impact you? And as a result of it impacting you, how does it impact the membership, right? So, so the board really is very eclectic. And the nice or unique piece about the SLA is that there's so much love and fraternity within that initial, if you think of that origin story, what mm-hmm. that would lead to, years of people knowing each other, getting to know their families, doing deals across the tables, going on different sides of the table over their careers, that leads us to a really great model where we've got our founders still at the table, giving us institutional perspective, giving us parts of the business that are cyclical, because everyone would like to think that everything is new but there's nothing new under the sun. It's a different version of what we've seen before. So we find that that model really helps us uh, and it provides us with the ability to traverse an absolutely uh, challenging, stimulating, fun industry that's, that changes by the second. So you can see how that governance model really does help because everyone at some point will, will have their perspective lead the day. I want to ask you about streaming sports media this is something that i know you've worked in and um i'm just so curious about how this space is evolving right like we see a lot of sports documentaries we see what f1 pga tour um but it seems like it's still kind of a wild west landscape like it's not like regular media um where do you see this all going how are athletes and organizations leagues monetizing this it's not an area of my particular expertise. I, I do deal with that as we relate to brands and clients. Mm-hmm. And, and it is, it's interesting. Two things I've seen in the last two years is because of the, the presence of technology and because of the familiarity and the, adopta- the adapting of the technology and finding a lot more players, uh, talent, musicians, really seeing that as a real lifeblood. So technically from the, the, the intellectual property side, these things are all kind of separate. They're different buckets. But in the reality, we consume it all together, right? You, you would never watch a, a silent film anymore right. without the music. And I'm not sure if you ever watched a movie without the music. It sucks, right? Right. Yeah. But the music is really expensive. To produce and make music is expensive. Yeah. And so you start to see the, 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 the uh, coming together of it. So let's say you, you, you're someone who can perform or sing, you know, and you've, you've got a visual persona, all of a sudden you might have an advantage to be able to move into that space. Um, so that's one part of it, the accessibility uh, of that platform and streaming and other visual mediums to the athletes. The other part that I also see is, is the transformation of social media and the ability for one to utilize um, some digital components, right? Collaborating, um, you know, you could be not necessarily as talented if you were somehow able to measure it, but if you've got really great digital sophistication, you've got a couple of people that understand how to use that and you've got a following, you know, the market will dictate that. So it's something that I've, I've found that it's, it was sort of big shop before, right? You need a bag, you need someone that can provide that. And, and then that person sort of anoints the next great one because they give them access to that resource and those, that expertise. But now that's not the case. And, and, and it allows you to, as the client or the, the athlete or the visual person to access very specific parts of their follower base, right? So, um, you know, you've got, when I'm in, in certain spaces, you've got people coming in from Indonesia, right? Mm-hmm. A really niche artist from Indonesia that may have, let's say, 20 million followers in LA recording with an American producer or an American team to go back to that market. And so you're really getting the best of both worlds. And so that's, so then it, it culminates in the streaming, but it's a really kind of multi-dimensional perspective. And so I think, I think that, 
presents a lot of opportunities, especially when, you know, models were created, initial models were created to, to produce winners and losers. Hmm. All the models were created to produce people that have, and typically those who had the tools of the trade, you know, were taking nine tenths of everything. And so I think certainly it's not an overstatement to say I think it, it is a liberalization of the access, but then you start to see it consolidating again. So it's, it's a, that's what makes our industry and streaming and the ability to access and talent and athletes to create their own documentaries. We, we were, you know, one of the ones I was talking about earlier this morning is one that was called Black Ice that premiered at the, the TIFF International Film Festival, completely and almost, you know, led by athletes through their experiences and, and then people who are on or behind the lens that have a perspective and that they're more deferential to the storytelling of the athlete and of the client. And so it's sort of like you don't know the technical part, but we want to really empower you. So maybe the next project or two projects down the road, they're now behind the lens. So I, th I think it's good. I think it, it provides upward mobility uh, for folks that, that are able to build a really strong team around them. How do you see athletes doing that now in entertainers? Because it used to be not so long ago, I worked with a lot of athletes too, and it's the people they trust. And that could be mom and dad. It could be family. If you're going outside of that inner circle and you're building your team, what's the best advice that you would give an athlete or an entertainer? Um, you know, that's a, that's a great question. And, and off the top of my head, I, I always think it's not just for the athlete or entertainer, but I think it's a general thing. We should put ourselves regularly in uncomfortable situations. Right. Right. Just, just because, again, if, if you know, you don't, you don't want to ever be that person that stops learning. Right. I'm not sure like, there isn't a rule, but uh, it's been my experience that all of a sudden people pack it in and said, that's it. This is what I've got for the rest of my journey. Right. Right. And, and obviously, like we mentioned at the outset, things are constantly changing. So I, I think what you're looking for is is developing an expertise like you want to be a, a sniper, a sharpshooter, an expert, an expert. I think that's the way to go. But then you say to yourself, that's great. But tell me a little bit. Let's be curious. And I think it's that curiosity that in working with athletes um, as coaches, you want to really facilitate the curiosity because when you hit the the excellence and the excellence is something that you know the rewards start to show the recognition starts to pop in the notoriety develops and then right away you're shifting them into something that makes them a bit more uncomfortable mm -hmm. when they start to feel settled because you're always trying to find purpose and then people tell you what that is and then you're like okay this is my purpose but what you really need is someone that's going to say that's great but what about this and then you're trying to complete the other side of the equation uh, in an optimal situation, the opposite of what you think you may or might not know, so that when you're in that scenario where uh, you know, you're that one person, you have at least enough adaptability to be a leader. And I think that's the thing you're looking to be in an industry where things are very prescribed. You want to be a leader, someone who feels that I've got a basic competency to at least ask the right question, to ask the wrong question, but more importantly, to ask a question. Uh, so, so I think that's probably the best advice. I don't think it's changed, but it's really... I think it's a recipe for those that we've seen in the past who are the greats. That's one of their attributes, right? They just were really curious people. And when you took a look at their full day, you found that they had levels of expertise. I was listening to the, the podcast earlier when we were talking about, um, even when we spoke to Sandra, you know, or, or we spoke to Maria Sharapova. Like this curiosity is this thing where, you know, you may not be the best at it in that room of experts, but when you go out in the general population, you can differentiate yourself and be a leader, especially if you're part of a community. Whether right. that's an athlete, whether that's being uh, someone in a technical space, and, and you can help facilitate that conversation, and it provides an inspiration for people who go, well, you know, you're as good as that, Brian. I can do that too. So I think that's what's going to be part of that winning formula. Yeah, I like that. So uh, Sports Business Radio is partnering with 
Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. I know they're partners with Sports Lawyers Association too. I love partnering with them because I feel like they're empowering sports athletes and entertainers. Um, they're really helping change the narrative. I mean, most of the people we have on this show are athlete CEOs. They are very smart. They're in charge of their own brand. They own numerous businesses and, and companies. Um, how do you see that all changing? And, and you know, what's your experience with Morgan Stanley? The one thing I can say without directly answering is like there, there should be a hallmark of what, what a center of excellence looks like. Mm -hmm. and, and I think for us working in this business, you want people who have done it before, right. who have been in that seat, right? Who, who have understood the disappointment, the elation, the isolation, right? In that order you know, or any other. And I think that that's what I like most about um, what the team has done at Morgan Stanley um, Sports and Entertainment is that, you know, sometimes you, you don't want to give away the secret sauce, um, but for them, they're giving away the secret sauce, and, and that is to go directly to the athlete and go, well, what was your experience? What did that feel right. like? And being able to match that experience because that's the, that's the constant, right? Between generations, between individuals, you played that sport, you played it at that level, or you competed. And so if you go to those people, they're, they're going to find uh, that's where the winning recipe is because you know, we all know, that, to use another sports analogy, like the game is won in the corners, right? It's won two plays before the basket. Um, and, and that's where, you know, although we celebrate the outcome, the assist person or the second assistant. I think in hockey, they've got like the person who passes it to the person that right. gets the goal. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a good metaphor for the team building um, question you asked earlier. You look for people who are like that, right? People who may not show up on, on the score sheet. And I think um, meeting with, speaking with uh, Sandra and getting to know the team. Like, and I think that's what's so phenomenal, meeting Akil, meeting the folks year over year, Jeffrey, you get to see that they've got that background in athletics. That's, it's, it's, the, it's the real McCoy. You get the sense that it's not scripted and, and it can't be uh, once you've had that experience. And the other thing is you can't help but take it personally, right? It's more than your job. It's more, and I think that's at the SLA, we, we've seen that from the jump, from the very beginning, that it's not just a cut and paste. It's, it's a genuine long-term approach to uh, you know, longitudinal challenges that exist in this field of play, mm -hmm. right? So it's not going to change. And I think it, it, it makes sense. I don't know that you have to have everyone, but you certainly have to have enough, the majority and enough of a strength of opinion from those communities. And I think what I'm mentioning and discussing for sport applies generally to everything else. But we've seen them do that long-term, no short-term answers here. Who cares who's ahead at the first quarter? It's a long game. Yeah, and I, and I think that's what we've seen. That's what we had those initial discussions. I was a part of the board when we first started that, and I, and I just see that we get that, that these challenges are going to be always there, and communication and some fraternity. Getting to know each other helps us to work through the challenges that, that arise. So that partnership has been tremendous for us, um, and it's one in which I think is really elevated, elevated not only um, our, by the association with each other, but also in the scope, right? Understanding that, you know, when folks come here who are representing people in all aspects of the industry, we've got people there who are resource. And, and I said to you previous, have a love and affinity for this community. It isn't just a cut and paste. I do this as my part-time. It's, it's right. my love and my passion. Yeah. Before I let you go, uh, look into your crystal ball. How do you see the landscape evolving over the next few years? What are the biggest issues? I mean, obviously, something like NIL has really gone to the forefront in the last few years. What else do you see? You know, look around a corner for a minute here and, and see the future for us. 
what should we be paying attention to? Um, I, I think the thing that we think is going to be secured is the thing that's going to become undone. So that being said, right, like because the foundations of our business are predicated on a couple of things, right, and and some of those we went through already. So. Keeping that in mind, I, I think what we should always be keeping an eye for is just trying to create opportunities for success. Um, and I mean by that, understanding that we're all a part of this industry, on a, on a global industry, mm-hmm. and that good governance practices, um, facilitating good people to come into the business, being really proactive about bringing athletes into musicians, into song, people who really need to understand that, that this is not gone are the days in which we pass it off to someone else and walk out the door like it should have never been the case because it was there were terrible outcomes during those periods right but i think more so now because you've got just so many different interests there so i think um we're going to continue to uh find challenges because the 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 foundations of our system continue to be shaken Uh, and the answer is always going to be uh making sure that the people who are behind us have an opportunity sooner than we would have liked mm-hmm. right sooner than we would have expected because the 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 growth curve the the everything is faster now and so we can't wait for people to get to to the finish line we have to really start as a prep like a pre like a warm up at that level with our messaging around integrity with our messaging around fun um enjoyment because if these things are not really looked at in a full scale we don't see the outcomes until much later and then you know what i've seen in my experience as you know in in working before and during law is that you you're dealing with outcomes or problems right so if one person in the in the value chain has a problem or a challenge at some point it pops up later on and now imagine if you've got like many people or a section of it you keep seeing it morph and affecting the way we do our business. So to answer your question, I think going back to first base, going back to principles, um, like, like you would if you were a fighter, right? And mm-hmm. that's why I love the fighting analogy because you could be the, the best fighter in the world. You can have three or four titles, but when you sign the contract for the fight, you go through a training camp and that's shadow boxing, that's skipping, that's running, right? Before you even get there, before you think about your opponent. And I think for us to continue to have the business grow, we have to go back to our basics, back to our foundations, and make sure that the other places in the world that we're doing business, that we really encourage that. Because if one part of the pillar you know, shakes, it affects what we do because our athletes are moving in every part of the world. I mean, this business is global. The borders don't really exist. And so creating really good spaces where we can you know, get the best talent, make sure they're well represented, making sure that they've got good expertise around them only creates successful stories and true inspirational stories So when the young kids look up to that other person, which is absolutely natural. You could be the best mom and dad in the entire world, but when they see someone doing something a bit older that's so unique, the children, their eyes are drawn to that person and they act as a surrogate. And so I think that's where we should start because it gives us better outcomes from, from the origin part of it. So that's, it's, a bit of a, it's a bit hokey, but it, I, I find that we're playing whack-a-mole if we, unless we really start doubling down on some of those basics. And we do that a lot here. That's the SLA way, first principles, and, and that starts with how we engage with the students uh, whether they're in undergrad, whether they're in, you know, just getting into law school, that's preventative as opposed to, you know, dealing with symptoms after the fact. And I, I think that's been our winning formula from the, from the beginning when there were just five, five people that had a meeting and wanted to figure out how we could, even though we were on different sides of business, we, we understood that there's an overlap here. We're, we're in the same room. And I, and I think that's been a part of our winning formula. One more thing that I've got you here. You build relationships really well. We have a lot of uh, students and young people who listen to this podcast. Give me a minute or two on the best way to build relationships with people authentically. Yeah, you know what? That's a great question. It's very simple to me. 
just remember when you were the first. Mm. Remember when you were the only one. Right. Remember when you didn't have a single contact. Remember when you didn't even know how to say who you were. Well, you knew your name, but the f- next question is, well, what do you do? So I think kind of continually to remind yourself of, you know, of, of what that felt like. It, it, it creates a different energy, right? It's not a competitive energy because we're all, you know, smart, talented, and motivated. But it, it, it's a, a place where we meet each other because everyone that's on the stage or is in a role that you think is a dream role, you and I both know it's not whatever you th- what everyone thinks it is. Right. And oftentimes if you hit them at that point in which you say, well, tell me the origin story, tell me the twist of fate. And I think if you touch people there, that's the way that, you know, they remember. And, and everyone has that moment where I'm like, yeah, I never thought this would happen. Didn't know anyone or I knew everyone and then it all collapsed and no one knew me anymore. So I think the message I would say to the students is, um, it, that, and that, by the way, is not a comment for those who are in the industry who are successful. I tell them, you're already successful. You've made it through high school. You did great there. You made it through college. You're in law school. There are people looking up to you already. And I think we forget that because we're always looking forward. We never realize that there are people looking at us and thinking that we're living the dream. So I think if we keep that in mind um, when we interact with each other, uh, it works. And that's the SLA way. Constantly, the past presidents, you're stumbling on people who, you know, you're lining up to go to the restroom, you're, you're checking in. And there's this, this humility that I think walks in the room that, that reminds us, because when you're quote unquote there, that's the only thing sometimes that give you that good feeling. That feeling like I said something that I knew gave that person a spark in their eye, a twinkle in their eye that made them feel like, because it reminds you of what you were like when, when it first started. So that would be my advice. Don't look forward. Look where you are now and then look backwards because there's someone that you can motivate and pay it forward because you never know who that person is. And they'll be saying, like, I, did, I didn't even know Brian. And Brian, you said something to me that really made an impact to me. And you may not remember that, but all of a sudden that person goes, by the way, guess where I am now? I'd love to be able to work with you because you didn't know who I am. And people who I find who are successful, they love that. They love when people don't know who they are because you get them for what they are because for the most part, you're being sized up. Right. Right. And so that takes that factor away. Um, right off the top, the person realizes it and you start to get some gems. I, I can't tell you how it's going to work for you. Here's what happened to me. But you have to understand this is going to be your journey. Enjoy it. It's not a destination. So that, that's, that's what we preach here. And, uh, and I say that because there, this is not the same in other spaces. There are lots of places that, that that's not the case where the speakers just meet with the speakers. The students are like, we want to stay away from them, right? It's just, it creates this culture of dichotomy, which as I mentioned to you, if you're in this business, it doesn't matter where you are, you're in the room and you can affect the ecosystem. So uh, keep that in mind. So that would be my best advice. And I say it because I was that person. Like I was that person that attended my first SLA and the only person I knew um, was one person, right? And, and we may have seen each other for a minute or two, but that feeling is what stays with me now. And when I walk down the hallway, I keep my head up because there's that other person. I'm looking for that one person that thinks that no one's going to notice them. And, and I know it, it makes me and it takes me away feeling as though that I'm sort of renewed uh, and that I didn't forget my origin story. And, and it's an origin story that almost all of us have. Yeah. I love everything that you've talked about today. Thank you so much for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Best of luck as the president-elect of SLA. And I think uh, SLA is in very good hands with you, Laith Gafoor. Pleasure. Thanks so much, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Talent, hard work, focus, and determination got you here. Now take the right steps to prepare for your future and ensure that you stay at the top of your game, your business, your craft. Morgan Stanley Sports and Entertainment is a division of Morgan Stanley Wealth Management dedicated to serving the unique and sophisticated needs of elite 
and professional athletes, entertainers, executives, creators, and other top talent and professionals in the sports and entertainment industry. They deliver the education, strategies, and expertise you need to help advance your financial game plan at every stage of your career journey. They speak the language. They know your business. Morgan Stanley will work with you to achieve your goals. I've trusted Morgan Stanley with my personal wealth management for almost 20 years. Visit Morgan Stanley at morganstanley.com backslash G-S-E. Now, back to the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. My guest is Ken Shropshire. He is a sports business expert and author, Professor Emeritus. He's the director of the Wharton Sports Business Initiative. Uh, he created the Global Sport Institute at Arizona State University. He's joined me on this show before. Ken, how are you? Great, Brian. Good to be with you. Yeah, so great to see you. So I'm just back from the Sports Lawyers Association Conference in Los Angeles. Lots of topics discussed there. The theme was the athlete in sports, uh, NIL, technology, health and safety, player unions. So much is evolving. But from where you sit as a, a longtime sports business expert, what are the topics that you're thinking about the most right now? What's, what's kind of keeping you up at night in the sports business and entertainment space? Well, nothing's keeping me up at night. It's not That's bad. good. That's good. <laughs> you're still number one. <laughs> but the big, big can't figure it out is, is college sports and, and, and where it's headed, the business side, the combination of the transfer portal and NIL, uh, kind of the, for old schoolers, the rebellious nature of money needs to be transferred over to athletes and away from coaches. So to see where that's all going to hit, it, and, and for me, the dominance of the issue of uh, can we remember to focus on education for these men and women while we're doing all this? That, that, that to me is, is issue, issue number one. Yeah, I mean, you look and see, uh, you know, Brawny's going to USC. Haley Van Lith just uh, transferred from Louisville to LSU. Like you said, the, the transfer portal's open, and um, it's amazing these players have a value assigned to them now. And, um, you know, it is kind of like a bidding war for the athletes. No, it really is. And what's going to settle out to some degree is schools that won't play the game, won't engage in this. I'm a Stanford alum, and it pains me that Stanford's not engaging in this in, in what I think is the, the, the proper kind of way. And other, other schools as well. I mean, and I sit at an Ivy school. You know, what, are the, what are the Ivies really going to do? Or will they come out really okay in the end because they end up being this, this bastion of lack of insanity in terms of, of being engaged in this. The, the exciting thing is, is and, and if you ask me, you know, my issue number two, the, the role that this is playing with, with women's sports mm -hmm. at the college level, and you mentioned one of the big transfers, the idea that the transfers and revenues belong to these women is, is just as important, impactful as it is for the men in a way that, that we haven't seen before. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, DE&I, how are we doing in the sports and entertainment space with DE&I? I know you and I had this conversation a couple of years ago, uh, right before the pandemic, but fast forward to now, are companies and organizations doing a better job with DE&I or do we still have a long way to go? Yeah, and that, I, I not even use this. It, that, that's really, it really pains me to, to think about where we are now mm -hmm. and how, how far we're not getting although we've made tremendous progress. And 
I've been able to look at the issue even more deeply than I have historically. I came back to, to Wharton to be an advisor to the dean, but also to lead this new thing, the Coalition of, for Equity and Opportunity, Wharton CEO. And one of the pillars is to focus on sports and, and what's going on there. And, and I will tell you that, that, you know, if we think of the Jackie Robinson moment, kind of advance where we are today, mm-hmm. the on-the-field issues, you know, virtually, you know, I'd say 90% we're, we're in a good place with that. But there's, there are issues that are now, that weren't historically this way, almost insurmountable. Ownership, the idea of will we have an African-American majority owner, especially if Jordan gets out, out, of, out of this, you know, where, where are we left in the end there? Right. If in the NFL, the head coaching issue and owners just not making the steps they could have made in these years where there's been such a focus, kind of a defiance. So we're just not going to do it. And the difficulty that, that we have if we're trying to be right, right thinking people of, well, is it because they really want to hire these other guys that, that aren't black or is there something else going on? And it's, it's kind of this modern day way of thinking about race, except for the very right wing kind of presence that we can't really decipher what's going on. And people are sophisticated enough not to be overt about what they're doing. I think sports is a place where we're suffering from that. Yeah, no, I think that's right on. Um, Financial education and literacy. I know you've worked with Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment for quite some time. Um, It's one of the big reasons we wanna work with them as well. Um, They're doing a great job really educating these student athletes on financial literacy. Maybe you could talk about the importance of what they do in the financial education and wealth management space. Yeah. And I, and I want to, uh, what do they say that if the, uh, Hunter writes a history, the lion won't get any credit or something like that. There's it's all. So when Morgan Staley first started in this space and thinking about this engagement, I was just coming off from having been the president of the Sports Lawyers Association. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who's going to claim credit, but, but was involved in getting the sponsorship relationship in place. And, and one of the reasons why we thought it was so important those many years ago was exactly the issue that, that you're talking about, that, that if, as, as lawyers, we needed to have a presence of a company that could deliver if athletes were willing to in, engage with it the kind of financial services, the, the, the sort of education on literacy that's not readily available. There's so many people out there offering that probably aren't in a position to really do it the right way that, that, that are selling. I mean, it is, it is there since how many companies talk about financial literacy, but in the end, there's a, there's a say, or too early on, there's a, there's a sell that, that, that takes place. So at, at, at Wharton, uh, I would say now 20 years ago, we started a program uh, with the NFL, where we were looking to help players transition out of the game. And a big component of that was this learn as much as you can about how to manage your finances. Because so often, so many of these guys, even if they're not in a position to do so, don't take on that task of, of managing their potential wealth themselves or being engaged enough in it. So, so that's a lot of what's, what's really important. And that, and that ties back to, I got to say, to the, to the college issue, too, and the issues we're seeing there, right, in this, in this new day. It's, it's the NIL money comes in. And, you know, you give me 
I'm even a thousand dollars extra month and I'm 18 years old and I don't need a thousand dollars. I mean, the kinds of things you could help me do at 18 that I would think about and that, you know, all of us that are a little bit older now remember, and we still see these, you know, the uh, index funds where they said, you put in a thousand dollars a month or you put in $10,000 in year one, in year 10, it's worth whatever, in year 40, it's worth a million dollars. You know, that's the kind of thing that as an 18 year old, you can be really ahead of the game. You have someone guiding you in a way that that can get you to that point without a whole lot of heavy lift, without making the, uh, you know, the, the, the next, uh, uh, big sale of a company or, or getting that big signing bonus. There are other paths to get there. And that's really the education that's not, not getting delivered. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing in some States NIL in high school. So it, it starts that early and, you know, there's tax implications, Obviously, you're you're allowing people to use your name, image, and likeness, but are you like signing it away exclusively to someone? So you've got to read contracts. Yeah. It's really important, I think, what Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment is doing to help these young athletes understand this is the road ahead, and this is how you can best plan for it. Yeah, the more this this space is a you know that Morgan Stanley is a, a great example. There's the sporting this moment. So I'm, I'm not just, just saying it because of that, though. But the bigger the enterprise, the more this space of helping these young athletes is a blip on the screen, that it's not going to make or break Morgan Stanley, whether or not they get this, you know, one client or so. So the idea of this is this is the good thing that we need to do. And there's a business angle to it, too. But it's not dominating us. And, and, and we have all this information not because of our work in sports, but because we've been at this forever, because because we are one of the enterprises that will be, you know, as this whole financial crisis goes on, we'll be one of the enterprises that's here for the long run. Yeah. How critical is that synergy between legal counsel and financial advisors from, you know, what you've observed over the years? Well, you know, my, my earliest academic work was on the, the sports agent industry. I wrote a couple of books early on with that. And and the one walk away that I had, it was, you know, it was back in the days of the, the ProServe and international management group, kind of the earliest versions mm-hmm. of these conglomerates. And even then the importance of, of having a separation, the checks and balances in place uh, was very clear, even though there's all these benefits to having these companies that, that have everything in house. So, so the more you can have for example, the lawyer, you have the financial advisor, you have the accountant, you have, you know, you don't have time to be your own day to day ombudsperson. But you, if you have the, the enterprises checking each other and you, and you structure it that way, that's the best situation possible. Because too often we have seen with great athletes, Kareem Abdul Jabbar, with, with great athletes, right? They put too much trust in one person and something goes wrong. Yeah, Billy Joel in the entertainment world. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we've seen this. T- so that brings up a really good point. Trusted advisors. Um, you know, I don't understand a lot of this stuff. I have trusted advisors. Morgan <laughs> Stanley is one of them. They handle my money and they help me, uh, you know, remain financial literate. And um, some things, it's just better to let the trusted advisors and the experts handle And, you know, I feel like this is one of them, especially like you pointed out, if you're 18 years old, I go back to when I was 18. (laughs) I I don't think I would have known how to handle any of this. 
Yeah. And, and, the, and the best advisor, though, is the one that's trying to educate you along the way. Right. Allowing you to understand what's going on. Not the one that says, don't worry about it. Just, just right. Bring it. Yeah. That's, just hand me all not, your money and we got it. That's not the one that you want. And as painful as it is, and as, as much as you, you want to have that independence from your money, you've got, you got it. And, right. And, and that's what the best advice is allowing you. Yeah. All right. Last question. Big picture. Um, what do you see developing here in the next few years, whether it's with NIL or, um, you know, we've talked about uh, the NCAA on this episode and the future of the NCAA and the role they may or may not play. Like, if you look into your crystal ball, where do you see things going in the next couple of years? Well, you know, it's, so I, I wrote a book, uh, yeah, subtitles, How to Fix College Sports. Right. Um, and it was a little arrogant that it's placed 16 or 17. So it was before this the 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 awesome case of the big court cases that allowed all this uh mayhem to begin to take place and i said there that the most important things were with all this money that's present which is what stirs a lot of the cell is that we're thinking about how in the end are these men and women that are playing college sports okay then the the 98 percent as the commercial tells us that don't go pro and even those who do how do we make sure that they have a lifetime where they're okay? And a lot of what I, I build into there is, is this, this thought, uh, even we get it before NIL, the transfer portal and all that, was that if there's so much money in there, we need to build in place boot camps before you enter college, counseling while you're there about opportunities that will exist for you beyond sport, and this whole idea in a serious way of lifetime scholarships that you can always come back and, and finish it up. But it's, it's you know, one of the things that, that when I was at Arizona State that I really began to understand, we did a lot of work on thinking about that whole idea of the athlete identity. How, how soon can you get somebody to break away from full focus on being the athlete and the idea of contemplating that you're someone else? So, so that, to me, is the kind of thing that needs to be built in, into this. And, and the other pieces, from my old econ degree, will kind of take care of themselves if it's just the SEC and the the Big Ten in the end, and there's all this other other stuff. But those are the mega places to be. Sorry, Pac-12. I'll open things come together. That that's okay. That, that it will all settle out. But we got to make sure that these young men and women aren't hurt in the process. Yeah, I loved seeing Jalen Hurts graduate from Oklahoma recently, and William Avery, after all these years, went back and got his degree from Duke. So you're never too old to go back and and. Finish your education, right? No, I'm not Ray, Ray Allen. I mean, uh, yep. a lot of the lights guys are, are rolling in there. The uh, uh, Todd Bowles, I, I saw he just got his degree at 59 or something like that. Yep. So it's it's great. I mean, that, that's, you know, some of those guys are, you know, may not need the, the, that kind of lift to their their financial life or their educational life. But it's, it's great to see. I think it's an important thing. Yeah. To Ken Shropshire, thank you so much for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Continued success to you. Thanks, Brian. Always fun. Thanks for listening to the Sports Business Radio Roadshow, presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment at the Sports Lawyers Association Conference in Los Angeles. Thanks also to our team at Sports Business Radio, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Ryan Nakajima, Colby Ackerman, and our friends at CG Sports, CG Young, and Nicole Wardle. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Griggs Productions. GriggsProductions.com. <laughs>